Hello, and welcome to Into the Closet with the Queer Priestess. I'm your host, Casey Joy. Here, you will hear my stories about my life in and out of the closet and how I have healed my trauma from the inside out. I will teach you tools so you too can begin healing your life. I am a queer woman, psycho-spiritual practitioner, wife, teen mom, divorcee, college dropout, trailer park living, plant-loving, spiritual, intuitive entrepreneur, and priestess. I stopped letting the world tell me who I had to be and went internal and realized that I am a goddamn cheetah. I took my life and rose up out of the ashes like the phoenix. And I want to share my story with you so that you too can hold on to hope, possibility, and know that you always, always, always belong. Deep breath in. Let's go inside. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Into the Closet with the Queer Priestess. So glad you are here. It has been an entire month since I launched this podcast, since I birthed it into the world, and what a month it has been. It feels like I have been tending to a baby over this last month. For any of you parents out there, when you have a baby, it's like, whoo, the roller coaster, the up and down, the sleepless nights, the middle of the day and middle of the night cryings and feedings and diaper changes. And in a lot of ways, that's what I feel like I have been doing with myself, tending to myself, really nourishing myself, especially because, you know, I think one of the things that's happening is that I was in this vulnerability hangover. I got really vulnerable about some things, and a lot of it got brought up to the surface. I have a lot happening in my personal life, which is all just really beautiful things, but it's out of my control, and I'm usually like momentum, momentum, momentum in my personal life. In my business, I I tend to take things slower, but so in my personal life, I'm, I'm like, wanting to have this like full speed ahead thing happening. And there are just some parts and pieces, excuse me, there are some parts and pieces that are really out of my control. Trying to find a therapist for Savannah and working through some things with my spouse. Speaking of my spouse, you'll hear me from now on referring to my spouse my partner as my spouse, my partner versus my wife and really using they, them pronouns. She feels really sweet, really tender. I'm so proud of them for choosing to fully be expressed. And I'm really excited for what's coming and how things are going to unfold and unravel and the life and the journey that is ahead of the both of us. It makes a lot of sense, and soon I will bring them on to the podcast, and we can share a little bit more about our story, dating, being married, going through this healing journey together, and how they were able to like fully step into the fullest version, most expressed version of themselves. And so today, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the vulnerability hangover and And a little bit more of like what my work is, what my role in the world is, and teach you some more tools. So I realized recently with the vulnerability hangover, sharing some things around my dad and 
the abuse of my ex-husband and, you know, the trauma around both my kids, all three of my kids' dads, really. And just all of this like masculine toxicity came boiling up to the surface. And I actually have a session today, tonight with my male mentor to help really just like get this out of me. Once and for all, I've done so much healing work. And yeah, like there's this part of me that's just like really holding on to the wound of abuse. And I realized over this last few weeks that I've really been like shaming myself around, come on, Casey, you're not a victim. Like get over this already. And the truth is, is that like my three-year-old self is so sad and so wounded that now isn't the time to beat myself up. And I'm not actually in the voice of the victim and I'm not in a position to just get over it. I've worked all of my tools. I've done breath work and bioenergetics and movement and dancing and journaling and meditating, working with the medicine, asking my spouse to hold space for me. And the truth is, is that I just really need a strong male to help me, to hear me, to validate me, to witness me, and then help me move this out of my body for good. And I suspect that it's going to take it's going to take some time because it's been my whole life that I've dealt with abuse from men and I've dealt with masculine toxicity, even in females. You know, masculine and feminine energy isn't about being male or female. We all have masculine and feminine yin and yang energy within us. And sometimes it's in balance and sometimes it's not. There's the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and there's the toxic feminine and the toxic masculine. And sometimes we lead more from the toxic space versus the divine space. And sometimes we're like in our divine feminine, but we're in our toxic masculine and vice versa. And so it has nothing to do with gender. So I just, I just knew I need a really strong male presence somebody that I trust. And so I reached out for help and support. And I'm really proud of myself while also just like really tending to my sweet little one inside who's still scared, who still can't get away from the abuse. And so I've just been really tending to my nervous system, asking for what I need, which is really hard for me sometimes. It's really hard for me to ask for help because when I was little asking for help, oftentimes I, I ended up getting in trouble. So I'm really grateful to my spouse for also being familiar with this work that I can I can say, like, I'm in such a dysregulated state and I don't really even know what's wrong, but part of me just needs to cry. And so this past Sunday, they were at school and I was spinning and I just said, hey, if you get five minutes, can you please call me? And they did. And they were like, do you need a nap? And I'm like, but I'm not tired. And I started crying. <laughs> and that was their cue that, oh, I'm in such a young state. And I got to go for a walk with a sweet friend on his property and land and just like really talk to him about what was up for me. And my deepest 
wound is that I really just want to be loved. I really just want to be loved and to belong. And there's this part of me that I was wrestling with, like, I'm never going to be loved in the way that I need to be from my dad. So I'm, I need to just get over it, you know, like move on. But he reflected back to me that it's so normal and natural, even with severe abuse, even with PTSD, and I likely have CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, which means that my PTSD happened in more than one scenario with more than one person. And likely all of these relationships have caused PTSD. And so it's like no wonder over these this last month where I'm like, I'm sharing these stories and they seem like way more complex than what I can even comprehend. And that's really why, because <laughs> it is more complex than what I can even comprehend. And there's a part of me that wants to comprehend it. And there's a part of me that is just like, okay with the knowing that I'm healing. So on Sunday during this walk, this gentleman really just like reflected back to me of Casey, like, of course your tools aren't working. The tools that you have are your adult tools. You're three right now. You are three. And can you just give your your three-year-old self space to just be and be with her? And like my, I hadn't even like thought of that. <laughs> and I do this work. You know, and so it's like still as a practitioner, I have to work with other people to be held and supported to reflect back to me the parts and areas that I can't see myself. And so when I went home, I made a bubble bath. And when my spouse came home, they climbed into the bubble bath with me and we ate sushi together. And it was just really fun and so sweet and so tender. And I'm just really grateful for this work. The work that I do is I'm working with the somatic process, the polyvagal theory, working with the nervous system, working with breath work. Somatic is just being in the body. So if we get in the body, as a practitioner, I'm kind of watching cues of what's happening in the body as somebody's either talking to me or they're breathing in my office. It really is noticing like, hey, I'm noticing like your right shoulder is like way up to your ear. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Or what is that like for you to have your shoulder way up to your ear? Oh, well, I, like I didn't even notice. Oh, great. Do you think that you could like go into it just a little bit further? Intentionally raise your right shoulder up to your ear and maybe even like tense up the muscles and see if we can break up some of that armoring. And the armoring is the ways in which our body has built tension, kind of locking down when trauma has happened or anything overwhelming, anything overwhelming has happened. And so, you know, in the wild, animals, when something traumatic or overwhelming happens to an animal, they shake it off. But we as human beings, we get stuck. And we don't shake it off because we're taught not to. Even when we're cold and we're shivering, we're like, stop shivering. That's so embarrassing. What are you doing? Quit chattering your teeth, you know? And the shivering is sometimes a way of our body 
releasing whatever is in us internally. And so the work really is to like lean into the shivering, lean into the tremoring, lean into the shaking that's happening in the body. And when that's happening, it's just the energy moving through the body and out of the body and breaking up the armoring. I had a client in my office on Saturday and I just had to like keep coaching her through of like, just keep allowing your arm to shake and tremor and twitch like that. It's just energy leaving your body. And the more that I was able to like coach her through it, the more she was able to allow. And at the end of our 90 minutes together, she said she's never felt lighter. She had all of this like chronic tension and pain in her chest and her shoulders and her neck. It was grief that was like, she was, it was just gripping her. And in 90 minutes of a breathwork somatic session together, she felt lighter and she'd never felt lighter. She had even weeks prior ended up in the emergency room. She thought she was having a heart attack and it turns out she was having a panic attack because the grief was just like gripping her so tightly. And so she reached out to me and she's like, can I work with you? Absolutely. Let's, let's find you some relief. And over and over, I'm, I bear witness to this happening of clients are breathing and clients are like moving into the armoring and releasing the armoring and finding new space in their body. And when they find new space in their body, they're noticing that they're in a suffering state even less. And when they're in a suffering state even less, they can go out into, into the world and be the, the best version of themselves. So when we think of this polyvagal theory, the polyvagal theory works with the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. The polyvagal theory helps us track the trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. So if you were to take a line on a piece of paper and draw a line directly in the middle across horizontally, that line would represent what is called ventral vagal. And the ventral vagal state is what at the Vitalist Institute, which I'm a practitioner at and currently one of the teachers for, not in the school, but just at the institute teaching some of the classes. That line, that ventral vagal state would represent the vital state. And when we're in the vital state, we are in full vitality. Our vital life force is on board. Our vital life force is the part of us that knows when we get a cut or a wound how to heal our body just knows how to heal and creates the scab and that same vital life force is what teaches us what moves through us when we are in breath work when we are doing bioenergetics when we are meditating when we are in one-on-one sessions that vital life force moves through us to cue our body to really get underneath this armoring, this trauma that's stuck in our body to push it out, to move it out so that we really can be in vitality. And so then if you look at the line, left hand of the line and draw a like bell curve up and then back down, back over the line and then an upside down loop underneath the line Now you have a loop above and you have a loop below. The loop above would represent hyper arousal, which is like fight or flight, a lot of energy, too much energy, anxiety, 
ADD, ADHD, like panic attacks, racing thoughts are some of the things that can happen in the hyperarousal. And then if you go into the loop below the line, it would be considered the hypoarousal, which the freeze, shutdown, depression, being stuck, feeling blah, not having forward momentum. That tends to happen in the hypoarousal. I feel like fawning happens in hyper and hypoarousal. And so when we're looking at the state map or the polyvagal theory, then you might notice your nervous system is dysregulated when there's too much energy and your nervous system is dysregulated when there's not enough energy. The goal isn't to 100% of the time live in the ventral vagal state or the vital state. The work really is, can we be in these points of suffering less? If, you know, before I used to spend months in the hypoarousal and this like severe depression, I remember even like five years ago, I spent like three months in my bed. I could not get out of bed. My spouse was so worried about me. Like, come on, babe, just get out of bed. I just could not do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get out of bed. So now it's like, if I find myself wanting to be in bed all the time, then the work is, can I get out of bed? Can I go move my body? Can I call a friend? Can I go for a walk out in nature? How? What are some of the tools that I have access to that can help pull me out of that hypo arousal? It's not easy without the tools and it's not easy without support. So I'm not saying that if you find yourself in hypoarousal, you should just know how to get yourself out. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just sharing that the goal isn't to be in this ventrovagal vital state 100% of the time. And if you find yourself not being in that state, perhaps there are some things that you could do to help you get out of that state. And so then if you... When I have found myself in the hyper hyper arousal state with too much energy, like I did on Sunday, I really did have to reach out to my spouse of like, my thoughts won't stop. I can't get my brain to turn off. I can't get it to stop. It feels like severe ADD brain rumination, except for instead of ruminating on one thought, I had like a hundred thoughts spinning in my brain. And it, it was like, I tried all the tools. I was like, even I wonder if like I sing out loud will my thoughts stop. And it was bananas because even singing out loud, I was still having thoughts. And I'm like, this must be like some special gift that I have, like just trying to trick myself, you know. And the friend that I went for a walk with, he said, I like to call those moments a temporary insanity. And that's really what it felt like. It just felt like insanity. And I couldn't get off the roller coaster until I reached out for help. And then the solution was since my spouse was at school for me to go meet up with my mentor's husband. So that was really sweet. And so when there's too much energy, one of the things I love to do is I love compression. And so like taking my hands and placing them on my chest and having some compression on my chest works really well for me. Closing my eyes, taking some deep breaths into my belly, finding stillness with my breath, with my body, 
sometimes it's like taking my shoes and socks off and going and walking in the grass, which a little hard to do here in Michigan in the winter. But getting outside, being grounded, going out in nature, anything that I can do that makes me feel like I would be able to bring the energy down. And then if I'm in hypoarousal, what are some of the things that I can do to bring my energy levels up? So like movement, dance, music, those things tend to be helpful for me. So one of the things that you could do if you find yourself in more of a vital state, some of the things that you could do is make a list of if I have too much energy, what are some things that would maybe help slow me down? And if I find myself not having enough energy, what are some of the things that I could do that could lift me up or speed up my energy? So that when you are in a dysregulated state, when your nervous system is dysregulated, when you find yourself in too much energy or not enough energy, you can go to this list and be like, oh, what are some of the things that I could do? Or you could let a safe person know, this is my list. If you notice that I'm in a point of suffering for too long, could you maybe help me with one or two of these things to see if that's helpful for me to get out of this dysregulated state. Co-regulation is such a beautiful gift. And I used to think, oh, with my ultra independence, like I don't need anybody or the wound of getting in trouble for asking for help that I thought it was like a bad thing to heal with another person if they weren't my practitioner. And the truth is, is like there really is beauty in being able to co-regulate with my spouse. Um, you know, yesterday I said, I just had like a little bit of anxiety that was happening at the store. And they were like, do you want to co-regulate? And I'm like, yes. And so just like hugging each other and I can ask, can you, can you give me some more pressures to help me get into my body? Because it tends to be when I have too much energy, I am so out of my body when I'm in that hyper arousal. And then I just need like a lot of help to get back in. And my a lot of help is pressure. My spouse doesn't like a lot of pressure. And so it's just like holding their feet. Holding their feet really helps get them back into their body. And I notice that a lot with um, a lot of clients when they're out of their body oftentimes their head or their feet if I do just a soft gentle energetic hold I can like see and feel them get back into their body and then really inviting that breath deep into your belly deep into your pelvic floor they're just some really beautiful ways to be able to help shift your state it feels really special to me to be able to share that this is where I'm at a little bit of the vulnerability hangover, a little bit of noticing the awareness that I have around, oh, I've I've shared about all of the abuse with all these men and there is a part that is still stuck within me and I need help. And it's really a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be aware and to notice and probably for the first time, not having shame around not having been able to remove this piece by myself. I had a little bit of shame and judgment on Sunday around not being able to get my tools to work for me. 
in a way that was helping my nervous system be regulated. But then that shame and judgment was gone when I was validated around like, of course, they're not working for you. But this is the first time that I haven't had shame around something so big being up and being like, yeah, I really need help. And to be met with like, absolutely, I'm more than happy to support you really kind of tends to, not kind of, it really does. It tends to that wound inside around being loved. I'm sure in a lot of ways my dad loves me. I'm certain his highest self, his soul loves me. And yet there's just a lot of truth that on a human level, he does not have the capacity to love me in which, in the ways in which I need. And it's interesting because I don't even entirely know how I would need his love. I know as a little girl, I needed his love in the way of not being abused and to be seen and to be played with and to have help with homework and to have him be interested in me and in my life. And so I don't, you know, I don't even know what that would look like currently for him to love me in the ways in which I need, because I think I've gone my, well, I have, I have gone my whole entire life not being loved by my dad in the ways in which I need. And it, it gets to be okay. It gets to be okay. So one of the stories that are coming, that is coming through at the moment, speaking of like my dad and in the ways in which I needed him to love me. And I, I mentioned the word shame. And so the story, you know, when we think of shame, shame says I am bad. Guilt says I've done a bad thing and I feel bad. But shame is just like, oh, you are so bad. And, you know, both my parents used to be like, shame on you, Casey Renee. My middle name is Renee. I hate the name Casey Renee because it just reminds me of always being in trouble. Always being in trouble. Casey Renee. Casey Renee. (laughs) And so I had felt shame my entire life every day. I just, I really thought I was bad. And I had, um, in September, I had such a beautiful session around removing the shame and it was gone. I hadn't felt shame for months. And recently shame has started creeping back up with like the abuse that I had endured of like, something must be so wrong with me. I'm, I really must be so bad to have invited these type of people into my life. And really, it's just like, I know logically, it's just the patterns. It's just the way, right? Like we attract people into our lives that affirm the ways in which our parents treated us or loved us or didn't. And yet, like, I still felt that shame. And so one of the things that I do know about shame is that shame breeds in secrecy. The more we keep things to ourselves, the more the shame grows, the more it spreads and creeps into all the cracks and crevices into our bodies. And so this is one of the stories I've been like really wanting to tell because I find it to be incredibly powerful. And it speaks to my ability to be able to like figure things out I just, I'm so resourceful 
And it's one of like my greatest gifts to be able to make something out of nothing, to be able to create money, to, to really just show up for myself in ways that a lot of people won't and could never imagine or fathom showing up for themselves in. And so when I had Savannah and Pax, Pax was just a couple months old and I had enrolled in college. And when I transitioned into being a student, I had already previously had a laptop that I had received for from a Chris received for a Christmas present from Savannah's dad. And not because I was going to college, but just be, to have a laptop, I suppose. And the laptop broke, but I had just a couple of days before this huge final paper was due. And at the time, I'm a single mom of Savannah and Pax. I'm not with either of their dads. And I'm in college full time and I'm working full time. So I would work 40 hours at the restaurant. I was taking four classes and the kids were in daycare, I don't know, probably 60 hours a week. And so there wasn't room for me to keep them in daycare longer. And I didn't have a lot of support. You know, my mom would oftentimes watch the kids on the weekends for me if I was at work, but I needed to get this paper done. And so I felt like, oh, there wasn't a lot of time to put them into daycare. Like if I wanted to go to the library or the resource center at the college to work on my paper, it's like, no, when I worked on my homework and papers, it was when they were sleeping and in bed. And so my laptop broke. So I reached out to my dad and his wife at the time, and I asked for $550 to buy this laptop. I said, I'll pay you back, but I don't have the money right now. It's like, it wasn't in my budget. And also I was on food stamps and right. Like I was on government assistance. I literally just, even though I was working full time as a server, I was still only making $18,000 annually, raising two kids, paying for everything on my own. Cause neither one of their dads paid child support at this point. Like it was just solely on me. And so this was the one and only time I had ever reached out for financial help. And I had seen them financially help my siblings. And I asked for the $550. I will pay you back. I just need a laptop tomorrow so that I can get my paper done. And my dad sent me a check for $57. And I'm like what the fuck am I going to do with $57? I'm not going to be able to buy a laptop with $57. And it just felt like the slap in the face. So I did what I knew to do. And I reached out to an ex-boyfriend and I said, I'll have sex with you if you give me $500. And he said, okay. I was like, sure. And for me, it was not a big deal because I had already previously had sex with him. And I knew I could trust him, you know? And so we had that going within our relationship. And I realized that I hadn't told this story for a very long time because 
I didn't want my spouse to judge me. I didn't want other people to judge me. And yet when I finally shared the story, I shared it with my spouse just a few months ago. And then when I was working with my business coach, I had shared like, I know in a lot of ways that poverty is still like seeping into my life and I want to be done with it because in our personal life, we're not poor. We're not living in poverty. We're probably like still high, low class, low middle class, but we're not $18,000 annual anymore. My spouse isn't making $9.25 an hour for a family of five. Right. So we're like, we're out of the poverty in that sense. And in a lot of ways, moving into the trailer really helped us break free from the poverty. So I'm on this coaching call with my coach and I shared with her how like, I really want to be rid of the poverty. And I said, and I really want to share the story because I'm tired of like carrying it, but I don't want to have to go have sex to get out of poverty anymore. Or I don't want to go have sex to get the things that I need in my life. And I shared this story kind of thinking that perhaps her and my mastermind sisters were going to laugh at me. And instead, I was just met with such tenderness. And she said, wow, Casey Joy, you are one scrappy motherfucker. And all of my power came back on board when I realized like, yeah, I am. I am a scrappy motherfucker and I'm going to do the things that I need to do to make sure that my life is taken care of. And I'm going to do the things that nobody else is willing to do in order to get them done without hurting myself anymore, without hurting other people anymore. And I have a strength and an ability in order and an ability to be able to do that to be able to show up for myself, for my kids, for my family, for my business. And in a lot of ways, that one act, it felt like a commitment to myself. It felt like an act of love to my kids. And having sex really allowed me to be in my power. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to use my power for good for myself for once. Sure, I still gave my power away in that situation, but then I was able to like receive the thing that I needed and had an orgasm. He had an orgasm. It was a great time. And I got the laptop, got the paper done and got an A on it, you know? And what also was reflected back to me on that call was that she could tell that I was such a good mom, that I was willing to do what it took to get out of the poverty in that moment. And I didn't crumble and I didn't bend and I didn't think that I was a victim in that moment. Like, oh no, now I can't afford to buy a laptop and I can't get the the paper done and like, fuck my parents. You know, it was like, no, I'm not a victim and I will find a way. And I have never asked for financial help again except for from my spouse, because it was such a slap in the face. In that moment, what I needed was for my dad to give me the $550. He could afford it. They they absolutely could have afforded it. They just chose not to. And I just cannot imagine, like, 
my baby is going to go to college this year. And I just cannot imagine her being in a point of suffering financially to where she has to go trade her body for money in order to make her life better. <laughs> no, granted, like my parents didn't know that I was going to go have sex if they didn't give me the money. Sure, shit wasn't going to tell them that. They wouldn't have given me the money even if I would have told them. But the point is, I can't imagine not helping my kids when I have the means to be able to help them. And in a lot of ways, I just needed my dad to show up for me. I just needed him to show up for me. And he couldn't. He could have, but he didn't. And there's just a part of him that cannot show up for me. And it's painful. And in a lot of ways, then I attracted a lot of men into my life that were just like my dad. Just trying to see like, oh, I can I can love them. Um, Savannah was watching uh, the show once on Disney Plus, like Once Upon a Time or something. And it's this like different storyline around Disney. And something was happening where Belle was walking with um, I don't know the character's name, but the character in the movie Beauty and the Beast where the old witch is walking into the woods with her, I believe. And so in the show, she was just like, well, only love's true kiss will break the spell. And all of a sudden I was like, shit. Beauty and the Beast was my favorite movie. And somehow... It was ingrained in me that if I loved the beast enough, I would be loved in return. If I could get the beast to fall in love with me, they would no longer be a beast, but would become a prince. And I still love Disney. I mean, the fireworks show at Magic Kingdom is still hands down my top memory, aside from floating in the ocean with all of my clothes on. So I'm like not blaming Disney. And I'm not willing to have that debate with anybody. However, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it just I like couldn't unsee it. Like, oh, I thought I was Belle and I thought that I could just love my ex-husband into being this really good human. I thought I could love my ex-boyfriends into being these really good humans and to love me and see me. And I thought I could just love my dad, you know, and to being a really good human. And in a lot of ways, like my divinity, being able to see their light and their goodness got in the way and knowing, yeah, there are bad people in the world and sure they still deserve love, but it doesn't have to come from me. And that was just such a hard lesson that I've had to learn in life. Like there's no way that I could have loved my ex-husband enough or been submissive enough. It was his work to do and in a lot of ways still is. And it's my dad's work to do. And it's sad and it's painful because I come from him. I, you know, I'm, I, he is half of me. And so it's sad that I can be, what feels sad to me is that my dad misses out on the gift that I am because he can't see me. And 
in a lot of ways that makes my younger self, my inner child really sad. It makes my adult self really sad. I have some like really beautiful tools. I have a beautiful heart and a softness and a tenderness and a strength to me um, that I really do believe is a gift to the world. And my dad misses out on that and that feels sad. And I know I don't really talk about my mom. We're in this in-between state. And one day I will talk about my mom. I love her. I love my mom tremendously. And I think in a lot of ways we are enmeshed. And sometimes I really feel her pain. Going back a few episodes when I talked about um, knowing the summer that I wanted to live and I had taken on the spirit of suicide in my mom's womb and I can still feel like that enmeshment. I don't, I don't feel like the suicide or the depression or any of that, but, and my mom, my whole life has told me that I was her light and I did bring her peace in a lot of ways. And I'm just noticing over the last couple of months, holy shit. My mom has also been through so many of the same similar situations and scenarios that I have been through. You know, she was married to my dad and my dad wasn't just abusive to us kids. My dad was very abusive to my mom and I witnessed a lot of it. I heard a lot of it. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways I can, I, I feel that right now. You know, I have this belief and there's lots of studies out there that say like, as we heal, we're healing generations forward and backwards. And my maternal grandmother also found herself in marriages with abusive men. I'm not sure. Our, and then my great grandmother, um, I'm not sure if there was abuse of all involved in that marriage, but I know alcoholism was at play, you know, that it wasn't a healthy marriage. And so in a lot of ways, this is generational in lineage for me. And so I just feel like as I'm healing myself, I'm also healing my mother and my grandmother who passed the summer. And I really feel my great grandmother so much while I'm healing. And so I'm feeling like I can for sure feel three generations back, but a lot of times I feel five to seven. And I know this is probably 14 to 15 generations back, this wound of being with abusive partners. And I can see a lot of ways in which uh, my female family members, cousins, sister, are also like just no longer available for abusive relationships. I also know that not only do we heal forward, but we also heal or not only do we heal, sorry, not only do we heal backwards, but we also heal forward. So my healing is for my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids and my great great grandkids and my great 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 grandkids and the lineage behind me is just not going to be available for 
abusive, toxic relationships or marriages or partnerships. And so like, of course, all the work that I'm doing is a lot and intense and heavy because not only is my life heavy, but all the lives prior to me as well. And, you know, my kids, they too saw a lot of the trauma. They have PTSD from my marriage and from the ways in which I showed up and mothered them previously to working on myself and healing of being like, this stops with me. This stops with me. My kids don't have to suffer in the ways in which I suffered. And I had to make that choice. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't even my fault. It wasn't my mom's fault. And I can have a lot of compassion for the women that came before me while also calling all of my power back and saying no more for myself, for my children, for my grandkids, for my mother and my sister. And it is an honor to be able to do this work for myself and then to be able to go out into the world and bring others through it. I am fully 100% in my soul's work and I know I'm just getting started. I'm at like just the tip of the iceberg and I'm really excited to be on this journey and I'm really grateful that you're on this journey with me. Thank you so much for being here. If you have any questions, please reach out to me. I love hearing from all of you. It really has been such a joy, such a delight to receive the messages and the ways in which these podcast episodes are helping you, helping you have insight around yourself and to let go of some of your own shame and really start to call your power back. I believe in you. I love you. And I will see you next time. That's it for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review so that it could get out into the world to even more people. If you heard something that resonated with you, I would love it if you could share this with your friends on Instagram. Please tag me as I would love to cheer you on at Casey Joy Healing. If you'd like to go even deeper together, I invite you to check out my magic meditation bundle so that you can minimize anxiety and give into calmness. I love you. Remember, you are the magic. Thank you.